The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of chronic pelvic and sexual pain. We go deep with pelvic floor physiotherapist Heba Shahid. Heba opens up on the causes of pelvic and sexual pain and how a pelvic floor physiotherapist can help. Now, I've always been really quite surprised when people say that they've never heard of a pelvic floor physiotherapist. These specially trained clinicians are so underutilized in women's health. Personally, I think any woman who has had a baby, whether vaginally or by cesarean section, should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist as part of her postnatal recovery. If you ever get stuck for ideas to give your family member or a friend who's just given birth, maybe consider giving them a gift voucher for a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Hint, hint. In this episode, I ask Heba, what are some causes of chronic pelvic pain and painful sex? How does a pelvic floor physiotherapist assess a woman with these issues? We talk about how special gadgets and sex toys can help manage pain. How can drinking red wine cause clitoral pain? How tight are your vaginal muscles? Maybe too tight and causing you pain? We talk endometriosis and interstitial cystitis, otherwise known as bladder pain syndrome. And you know, it's not just women, but also men who experience pelvic floor pain. We talk on these topics and a whole lot more. But before our chat, a little bit about Heba Shahid. Heba is co-founder and CEO of The Pelvic Expert. On Google, you'll find her on thepelvicexpert.com, a digital wellbeing platform specializing in maternal, menstrual, and hormone health. Heba was inspired to work in the space following her own challenges with a 15-year history of chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis, and after witnessing the devastating effects of birth injury following her sister's first birth. A qualified physiotherapist, she has supported thousands of women on their journey to better health and well-being and instructed more than 1,000 therapeutic yoga and Pilates exercise classes. The Pelvic Expert provides holistic and research-based, women-focused online well-being programs to corporates, government, private health insurers, workplaces and individuals. Heba is a leading authority on women's pelvic health and as a media commentator on this important yet underrepresented issue and a regular speaker at global health and women's conferences. Sought after for her health expertise, Heba has collaborated with TED-Ed to provide pelvic health educational videos, clocking up millions of views on her bladder health video to date. Heba's mission is to make women's health information accessible globally and to provide high-quality women's health care in the privacy and comfort of a woman's own home. She believes women's health care needs to be disrupted so that women can stop suffering in silence. She is a global leader in holistic, non-surgical, accessible solutions for endometriosis, birth-related pelvic floor complications, and pregnancy back pain. Heba is one of the most vibrant, positive, and passionate women I have ever met. I hope you enjoy our chat. Heba Shahid, pelvic floor physiotherapist extraordinaire. That's how I see you. How are you going? (laughs) (laughs) I am good. How are you, Tash? Now, you're working tomorrow 
on a Sunday in Bankstown. Um, what are kind of some of the patients you'll be seeing tomorrow? Oh, okay. Tomorrow, mixture, mm-hmm. uh, but predominantly sexual pain. Yeah, that's what of, we want to uh, talk about. Mm. Mm, yeah. So vaginismus, uh, sexual pain, vulvodynia, uh, what else? Um, endometriosis. And I think I might have one prolapse patient, but usually 95% mm. of my clientele are chronic pelvic and sexual pain. Now, do they they get sent to you specifically for that because you have an interest in it or because overwhelmingly most women get sent to pelvic floor physios for those reasons? Uh, So me personally, I have a huge interest in sexual pain Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, I actually filter, I mean, I don't know if this is okay, but I I actually filter my clientele. So when people email me to book a session, Mm. um, they, I, I, I often will ask, what are you looking for? And if it's usually a like a basic pelvic floor issue, like maybe um, a bit of incontinence or they just had a baby or something, then often I'll actually refer them on because they can see any pelvic floor physio for that issue. Like um, it's pretty straightforward, the, the, the type of treatment with um, more incontinence-related stuff or weakness in the pelvic floor. So I usually actually just take the really complex ones. So when they um, email me, I can tell already from the email if they're going to be complex, which um, then I take them because I know that it's really difficult to find somebody to help you when you're on this chronic pelvic or sexual pain journey. And I know that I'm very good at that, at treating that. Um, and it's, uh, and I'm sure there's other pelvic floor physios who are great as well, but I know that that's like really my niche, really my specialty. So, um, it's interesting because you said when people refer to me, I don't actually get a lot of referrals, to be honest. Um, most of the clients that come to me, um, find me either online through, um, you know, some blogs or podcasts or something that I've been on or through, through Instagram on social media. So they, they're attracted to me. And I kind of work on that. I kind of work on the law of attraction. Mm. So it's like I attract a certain type of clientele um, that I know that I can help because they're usually, um, you know, they've got this complex stuff happening. And it's not just a physical problem. Often there's emotional issues. For some people, there's also like a spiritual thing happening too. Like it's like a holistic sort of um, complexity to their issues. And those are the ones that I can help usually. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because that's that's often who gravitates towards me. So what what do you see as the most common cause of sexual pain? The most common cause, from a physical point of view, is um, the muscles of the pelvic floor. So often when people think of oh my pelvic floor is weak or um, I'm doing kegels or something like that, those muscles where when you are trying to hold your wee, for example, or you're trying to hold your wind or they're the muscles that contract if you're having um, penetrative intercourse. Um, these muscles often in, with women who have sexual pain, they become too tight. So it's not that these muscles are weak. It's that they become overactive, hypertonic, spasm, tense, right? And so when they try to have penetrative intercourse um, or, or even try to just, yeah, like a, any type of um, you know sexual activity, they can feel pain in there either at their vaginal entrance or with some women it's um, pain externally on their vulva. Some women get pain on arousal. So even just the thought of getting aroused starts to cause pain or burning sensations down there, um, clitoral pain, anorectal pain. So that's kind of what I what I um, 
you know, what I work with. And it is because a lot of the time these muscles become very tight from a, from a physical point of view and the nerves, they kind of get stuck in these muscles and they don't move as well. And so they create more pain. Um, and even, but then the, the type of clients that I see often will have a more complexity above that. It's not just a physical thing. Definitely the, phys- the physical thing is a huge factor, okay? But there is also some emotional things. There's, um, it could be spiritual things as well. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have, you, you, you have a physical issue that becomes an, an emotional issue because you start off with having a physical pain which then creates a fear pattern in your brain um, and in your nervous system. And then so then every time you think about sex, you you start to feel afraid that it's going to hurt, right? So then it becomes an emotional thing and then it becomes laden with all this emotional baggage. And on the flip side, you can have an emotional thing like a trauma that happens to you maybe when you were younger or it could be like, you know, uh, I see a lot of trauma cases. So I see a lot of um, rape victims, sexual abuse. Um, domestic violence, that sort of stuff, which then manifests as a physical issue. Or they might have a relationship issue. So uh, maybe the the partner that they're with um, actually isn't the right match for them, right? And so their body almost rejects rejects them through pain. It's really interesting because, um, you know, it could be a physical issue or it could be an emotional issue. It could be a relationship issue or it could be an authenticity issue as well. It's like, um, the woman isn't really being herself. Mm. You know, she's not she's not being herself and not able to be herself, her true self. And so then her body kind of um, manifests that as pain. It's really interesting. Like when you when you kind of get like these are the type of clients that I attract. Not necessarily just physical. It's something more than just the physical. So when you say their true self, true self in that relationship, if it's a sexual relationship, or, or it, true self in in general, what do you mean by that? Um, it can be both. So um, tr- true self in a relationship, like, for example, th- a woman could be highly sexual, right? Like she would have a really high libido, but then her partner, there might be a desire discrepancy. Maybe his libido is too low mm-hmm. or maybe they have different interests. Like maybe the female gets aroused through things like BDSM, but the guy is more vanilla, you know, like it's like you can have these discrepancies as well on what arouses you. Um, or maybe the, the or like, I mean, it depends on sexual partners as well. It's not always a guy. But um, so what I'm trying to say is that in terms of the person might need a certain thing to become aroused or might need a certain thing to feel pleasure, but the partner might not meet that same need. Um, so it could be in a relationship, but then it could also be in general life as well. It's like you could be, you know, masking or masquerading or something, um, they're not really living an authentic life. And so then, you know, you, you start to develop um, physical issues. It doesn't have to be sexual pain. It could be anything. It could be, you know, back pain, neck pain, um, you know, gut issues and so on. So it's like I like to look at people in kind of a holistic way. Um, you know, are you, are you really being you? Like are you happy in your job? It could be something like that. It could be that you're in a job that you hate and it's overwhelming, it's overtaking your life. And as and you become stressed out and as a response to stress, your muscles all tighten up, including your pelvic floor, because you're kind of living in a fight or flight state rather than um, a rest and relax and reproduce state, right? So it's, it could be either. Mm. And most, mostly it's it's women who are taking this stuff into the bedroom with them, would you say? It, it, like if they're actively thinking about our work that day, then it became, it becomes a an issue in the bedroom. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it's not every yeah, every sure. woman, is it? 
No, it's not every woman for sure. So sexual pain kind of, the statistics say roughly around one in five women experience sexual pain. But um, I think it goes up to 85% of women will experience at least one episode of sexual pain in their life. So it's, you know, almost, that's almost every woman will have one experience at least where she will experience pain. Mm. And that could be because of whatever's going on in her life. But there's the one in five that every time they have sex or almost every time they have sex, it's painful. Do you ever see men with pelvic floor issues? Because I think most people don't realise that actually men have pelvic floor pain. Do you see many men at all? I don't personally see men because I'm not a men's health physio, but there are men's health physios. And, yes, men do experience sexual pain. So men can experience pain on arousal. Men can experience pain on on orgasm. Men can experience, you know, pain on penetration, whatever. Uh, And not just pain, but it can also be things like premature ejaculation. Um, You know, all these uh, male sexual dysfunctions can be linked to the pelvic floor as well. You mentioned earlier clitoral pain. I remember my first discussion or I was having a conversation with a friend of mine years ago and she was telling me that she couldn't have red wine because when she has red wine, she gets intense clitoral pain. And I was kind of blown away by like, what, really? That that actually happens to people? Um, what What other causes of clitoral pain are there that you see? So... Well, if, if, if I was to explain what's happening with your friend, it would be um, the red wine. Like if, if I'm just thinking about what, what it means to me, um, it could be like the, the excess sugar or yeast or gluten or whatever that's in the wine, like the sugar usually um, creates an inflammatory response in the lower pelvis, um, specifically in, in that, the bladder region, the bladder and the, the uterine region, um, which creates a hypersensitivity of the nerves. So like, uh, the nerves kind of become hypersensitive, I suppose, um, which can then – so like what we often see is people who have bladder pain syndrome, for example, interstitial cystitis, who then have this sensitivity to things like red wine, um, creates an inflammatory response down there. And because these nerves are – you know, you get what we call viscerosomatic convergence or viscero-visceral convergence, which is basically the nerves of the viscera, such as the bladder, converge with the nerves of the clitoris and or the nerves of the gut converge with the nerves of the clitoris. And um, so if you're having an inflammatory response in the gut or the lower pelvis, um, it converges with the clitoris. And so then they're more likely to get clitoral pain because you have to think about it. The clitoris is made up of, uh, what is it, 8,000 nerve endings? It's Mm. like the most amount of um, nerves in the entire body and even across females and males. It's like intense nerve, nerve distribution down there, right? Um, so, um, if your nerves are, have gone into this hypersensitive state, well, of course, if your clitoris is made up of that many nerve endings, it's going to stimulate, um, a hypersensitivity, which can be pain. That's how, how the nerves exhibit, um, this function is through pain, right? In the gut, it's through bloating or, um, gas or cramping, but in the, in the pelvic region, it's usually through pain. Um, and clitoris is definitely the pain, right? Um, but so you're asking me what other forms of what other uh, what other reasons we can have clitoral pain? Um, it, a lot of it is neural, right? It's 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 uh, neuromuscular, right? So um, if you have dysfunction of the muscles around the clitoris, which one of the muscles, which is the biggest culprit, really, 
is one of the muscles of your pelvic floor. So your pelvic floor is made up of a bunch of muscles, right? Like there's like 10 plus different muscles of the pelvic floor. It's not just this one hammock muscle that people think. People often imagine, oh, it's just a muscle that goes from the pubic bone to the tailbone and that's it. No, the pelvic floor is made up of a bunch of different muscles and one of them is part of what we call the superficial pelvic floor. So it's the, it's, it's, it's at the entrance when you look down there. It's just at the, at the superficial layer. And this muscle, it's called ischiocavenosus. And ischiocavenosus, think of it as a, triang- as a triangular type of muscle. So think of it, imagine your pubic bone down at the bottom and then imagine your two sit bones, okay, the two bones in your butt, right? So there's a muscle. So the ischiocavenosus muscle goes from your pubic bone on the right to the sit bone on the right, and from your pubic bone on the left to the sit bone on the left. Okay. So um, and that's actually the distribution of your clitoris. So your clitoris isn't just that little nodule that you see on the outside. Your clitoris is actually quite large, right? And it and it, it, it swells like you know to what nine to fourteen centimeters, right? So um, and it's got legs underneath as well. So think of those two legs um, also going from your pubic bone to your two sit bones. And that muscle ischiocavenosus rests right on top of it. So if ischiocavenosus is tight or hypotonic or in spasm, then you are going to often experience clitoral pain because it sits right on top of your clitoris. like it's cramping, compressing, tightening over your clitoris, um, and then you will feel pain. Right. And, and often you, you people who have vulvodynia, which is vulvar pain, they often actually have clitoral pain as well because it's that um, it's it's underneath what you can't see with the naked eye. Right. So essentially, clitoral pain is um, linked to hypertonic or, or overactive um, pelvic floor muscles and this hypersensitivity or this overdrive of the nerve endings of the clitoris. So there's 8000 nerve endings. It's, they're going into like an overdrive. And often what they will feel is like a burning or like even if you just touch the clitoris, it hurts. Or like if they're getting aroused, it hurts, right? So it's neuromuscular. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do you actually treat that? Uh, So so you definitely have to see a pelvic floor physio, 100%. And then that takes me to my next question because what does a pelvic floor physiotherapist actually do, Heber? Tell us. (laughs) Um, So – with the pelvic floor physio, you, you actually have to um, do like phone calls and stuff like that with them to find the right one because not all pelvic floor physios work with complex sexual pain. So when you have clitoral pain and sexual pain, this is complex now, okay? Mm. And not not all pelvic floor physios are actually trained to address um, the complexity of this pain. So I, I do that. I That's kind of what I, I love, um, sexual pain. It's like my favorite thing to treat because I know I'm good at it, right? Um, so what do I do as, as a pelvic, what do I do as a physio who works with sexual pain? Um, so when a woman comes, often you know we have a sixty-minute consult. It's very in-depth. I, I get to know her, um, and it's not just talking about sexual pain. I, I want to know everything about her habits, her bladder habits, her bowel habits, her sexual habits, her vulva habits, like everything that she does in that area to really understand the complexity of it. Right, so we spend a lot of time talking and also um, getting to know her sexual preferences, her, her, her how she feels about herself, um, her understanding of what happens with female arousal and all of that. Right, um, but then the the physical part of what a pelvic floor physio does is um, we we do vaginals and rectals. So we do vaginal exams and we do rectal exams. We have a look down there. We, I look at her vulva, what's happening, 
um, you know, I, I didn't know you did rectals as well. I, I, I didn't know that actually. Wow. Okay. So I should yeah. be telling my patients, if you go and see Heber, you're going to get a vaginal exam, a vaginal digital examination and a rectal exam. So not everyone gets a, a, a rectal exam. The, the rectal exams are if there is anorectal involvement. Okay. So if someone has chronic fissures mm-hmm. or anorectal pain or chronic constipation or, um, uh, or if she's had an obstetric anal sphincter injury or something. So, so not everybody gets a rectal exam. Uh, mm-hmm. Very often, like 100% of them will get a vaginal exam, mm-hmm. but maybe like 20, 30% will get a rectal exam. Not all of them. It just depends if there's anorectal involvement. Um, so, yeah, like we, we'll, we'll do a vaginal exam and or a rectal exam. And um, I'm looking at her muscles. How tight are they? And very often when there's sexual pain, there's tightness. So we look at the superficial layer, so just at the entrance of the vagina and, and externally at the vulva. And then we also go deeper into the deep pelvic floor muscles, not just the, the pelvic floor, but also other muscles inside the pelvis, like your hip muscles can be really tight, especially with clitoral pain. We find that obturator internus and piriformis can be quite tight as well. Um, we look at the, the, the tailbone muscles as well. Um, so there's a the muscular stuff. And then we look at the nerves, other nerves moving through the tissues well, right? And sometimes what we do um, from a treatment point of view, so we do pelvic floor releases so a lot of that is massage internally to release those tight muscles so just like if you had neck pain you'll go see a normal physio general physio and they might do some neck massage techniques to release your neck we do a similar thing in the pelvic floor right and a lot of people sometimes think oh my god but you know oh are you like arousing them are you um are you you know like some people actually ask me like you know do, do women have orgasms in your clinic i'm like no they wouldn't because um, it's pain. Like when you have pain, it kind of crosses off the, the pleasure component. So when they come to my clinic, you know, we don't even touch the clitoris at all. We just work in the, the muscles. And a lot of the time it's painful. It's like bloody painful, right? So it's like working with the woman and her pain tolerance, doing um, muscle releases to, to help bring the tone down, that hypertension down. Um, and then we might do um, some hip releases, so muscle energy type of techniques where we're releasing the hip. Uh, what else? We do nerve flossing techniques. So you know how like you, you want, you know, nerves are supposed to be flossed through the tissue. They need to kind of move um, in, a, in a sliding and gliding way through the tissue. But when the muscles are so tight, the nerves almost feel like they're entrapped and compressed. So we try to floss them out to release them so that they, they're not feeling cramped and then causing you to feel pain, right? So do nerve release techniques. Some, a lot of the time what I do is talking. I'm coaching the women. We're talking about things. You know, what's, what's coming to your mind right now? What are you feeling right now? Um, and sometimes memories come up because, you know, there's, there's this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. And it's about how we hold memories in our body, in our muscles, in our fascia, in our tissues, in our nerves. And so a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is like talking work, coaching work, um, you know, memories that you might have from childhood or from your current relationship or whatever, you know, and trying to unpack that and unwind that out of the tissues, out of the muscles and and the nerves. So it's like a combination of what we call somatic emotional release techniques, right? So like somatic meaning body, emotional, you know, release, right? Um, So like every physio is different, obviously. Like I'm, you know, I've done a lot of um, coaching work. So I, 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 I would say that 80% of what I do with my clients is actually coaching and then the, 20, the other 20% is muscle release work. So it's the physical therapy part of it is only a small portion 
of the work that I do, which is why my patients get better so quickly because it's not just physical therapy. I do a lot of coaching work with them, helping them to get in touch with who they really are, what they really feel, what they really desire, um, making them feel good about themselves and that self-worth, that self-compassion, um, all of that coming through because, you know, your your womb and your vagina and your vulva are you know, they're, they're, they're a part of your sexuality and your sensuality. And if you're out of touch with it, if you're disconnected from it, then these physical things manifest. So we have to unpack all of it. Now, I'm not saying every, every woman who has sexual pain has this element, but certainly the women that I work with and the ones that I attract, they have that element of, um, you know, disconnection from their sexuality and their sensuality. So you mentioned earlier coaching and, and in that part of your care, this brings me to a question I had from social media. Somebody asked about simple self-care strategies and their question was simple self-care strategies to care for your pelvic floor. I figure most women may not even know they have a pelvic floor or give it a second thought until something goes wrong with it. So what can women do to be mindful of theirs and look after it? Heba. I think something is for connection, right? C- connection is the key to everything. So get to know yourself, right? Um, if you don't feel comfortable to look at yourself, that's saying something, right? If you don't even know what your vulva and your vagina looks like, that's saying something. We should know these things, not just um, to feel good about yourself, but also to know something's going wrong, you know? So um, getting to know yourself intimately, visually first, you know, have a mirror, look at yourself, get to know your vulva, get to know your vagina, get to know where you're where everything is, your clitoris, your urethra, know that your urethra and your vagina are two different holes, right? Like all, all these little things, get, getting to know yourself visually, um, you know, and if like, so even things like masturbation, right? Like touching yourself and not feeling guilt or shame about it, right? Now, I know that um, from a spiritual point of view, there are some cultures and religions that, um, you know, it's kind of like not appropriate or whatever. But so within reason, of course, like within your cultural and religious beliefs, of course, um, but get to know yourself through visual, through tactile, through touch, right? Um, you know, you can look at anatomical drawings and compare that to yourself and know that all women look different. Like I've seen, and you've probably seen thousands of vulvas, right? There's no perfect vulva. Some people have inner labia that are smaller than their outer labia. Some people have inner labia that are larger than their outer labia. Some people have tiny pinhole vaginas and some people have open vagina holes. You know, some people's anus is very close to their vagina and some people's perineum is quite long. So the, the vagina and their anus is quite far. Um, some people have, you know, uh, more, more like um, skin and some people have less skin. Like get to know your own and, and that way you have a baseline that you can compare yourself to, you know, um, every year like you know how we're supposed to do breast exams right to check for Mm. lumps and stuff like that you should be doing vulva exams as well like you should be checking down there regularly uh if there's any skin skin changes skin discolorations any lumps any um you know color changes um texture changes all that sort of stuff right um discharge changes know what your discharge looks like month uh day to day through your month right um some people even say to me like they'll ask me, oh my God, like I have discharge. Like what's wrong with me? I'm <laughs> like, what do you mean what's wrong with you? It's normal to have discharge. Mm. 
They're like, yeah, but sometimes it's really bad. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you're ovulating. And then they're like, what's ovulation? Like, get to know your cycle. Get to know yourself. Like, this is your body, right? Like, um, so, yeah, yeah, like, I'm, I'm passionate about that. Like, get to know yourself through visual and through touch. Yeah, and no, and no guilt attached to that either. No guilt, no shame, mm. no no fear, right? Yeah, you remind me of um, an, an awesome point, Heba, like about the breast exam and the same thing should apply to the vulva. Back in the 90s, Madonna released this thing called a sex book and uh, it was one of those things you couldn't buy easily. It was kind of wrapped up in this special paper and at the time I didn't have any money to buy it. Me being a mad Madonna fan, I just didn't have enough money. But I had some friends who bought this book. Years later I acquired this book from a friend who was very generous and gave it to me and there's a classic photo of Madonna in this book where she is, I think she's completely or partially naked but she's actually looking at herself, that is her vulva, her vagina, you know, everything, the pink bits, whatever you want to call it, with a mirror and I look at that photo and I think, yeah, this is exactly what women need to be doing, you know, when you're talking about that vulval examination, just to be looking and not to be feeling guilty. And she championed that. And, um, you know, heads up to people like that who are championing women looking at themselves with no guilt. And um, the whole thing about vulva, when, when you, again, you mentioned that last year, was it the year before? No, it was 2017. I went to Mona, which is this really famous kind of gallery in Tasmania and they had a whole exhibit of vulvas on the wall where women acted as models and they actually did these kind of vulval kind of molds and, you know, you were looking at these vulva modes and, and everyone was saying to you, oh, okay, well, what's normal? You're a gynecologist. What what here looks normal to you? And I'm like, well, we, is there normal? You know, you mentioned earlier that sometimes women have um, pink bits kind of bigger than others. And I'm like, compared to what? How do we know what's normal, you know? And that's why I think your point about looking at yourself is so important. So number um, number one, I th- I'd say in self-care is looking at yourself and getting to know yourself. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I actually recall that um, that that book about with Madonna. And you know what it is? It's, it's um, being comfortable and feeling safe and feeling empowered in your sexuality, right? Like being, feeling good about yourself and being comfortable in your sexuality. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But society and culture has created this um, taboo around it, right? Mm. But like, you know, it's like your breasts. You know, 50 years ago, doing a breast exam was taboo too. You know, they, they, they didn't talk about breast cancer like they do today. So we need to take that same approach with the vulva and I, I feel like it's getting better um, maybe in the last couple of years but yes then there's so much more work that needs to be done um, especially when you get into the more cultural culturally diverse populations as well so um, I feel like there's so much work that needs to be done about feeling safe and comfortable and authentic and empowered in your sexuality. Heber if you're talking to gynecologists so we as gynecologists examine women all the time vaginally and many times when I'm examining women, I ask myself as I'm examining them, is this someone that I should be sending to someone like Heba? And you mentioned earlier, you know, when that when someone has chronic uh, pelvic tone, you know, you feel that tense activity in their pelvic floor. And I can usually tell when I ask someone to um, 
contract the pelvic floor like they're holding back poo or urine. And in asking them to do that, that's when I can tease out how I feel that they might have a, a kind of a, an overactive pelvic floor and hence referral to you. But can you tell us, how does a gynecologist know when they should be sending someone to you after they've examined a patient? What are the criteria that we should be looking for? Well, it, it could be something as simple as how, how um, comfortable are they to have a vaginal exam? Do they clench their legs? Do they, or do they just kind of like, you know, splay it out there? When you put a finger in, does it feel tight around your finger? Do they, do they cramp? Do they clench? Do they, do they look away? Do they feel uncomfortable, right? Um, doing pap smears, is that difficult, right? Um, so, so when you put a finger in there, you can usually feel like, um, you know, and, and you, can just, you can simply ask them, does this hurt? If it hurts, they need to see a pelvic floor physio for sure. Um, and you can even ask them questions like, you know, do you ever feel pain with sex? Something as simple as that. Or do you ever feel vulva pain? Or do you ever get fissures? Um, are you constipated? Right? All of these are signs, classic signs of a tight pelvic floor. Do you get urgency of the bladder? Do you, do you ever feel like, oh, my God, I'm busting. I can't, like, you know, I'm always busting. So the, the, the most, I call them purple flags. You know how we have red flags and yellow flags, red flags mm-hmm. when we're looking for things like cancer. So I call them purple flags. Purple flags are things like um, uh, pain with sex, urgency of the bladder, um, constipation, fissures, uh, straining when they go to the toilet for number twos, um, even things like when they go to empty their bladder, did, does it take a few moments for the wee to start? That's what I call hesitancy. It takes a few moments. They feel incomplete emptying when, of their bladder or of their bowel. Um, but usually the mainstay one is pain. Does this hurt? Does it hurt? If I touch this part of your pelvic floor or like if I do a vaginal exam and I touch any part and it hurts, because it shouldn't hurt. There shouldn't be any pain. You might feel pressure or slight discomfort, but it shouldn't hurt. And they shouldn't tense their legs. If they're tensing their legs, there's something going on there, right? Is the inner thighs like gripping? Are they having an anxiety attack almost at when 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 you when they um, expose themselves? Like it's not just pain. It can be uh, just that dissociation. Do they look away? Do they turn their head away and not want to have anything to do with the exam. All of this stuff, like like I said, I, I work with pain, but it's not always pain. Sometimes it's just um, getting women comfortable with their sexuality, getting women to feel comfortable in their bodies. Um, you know, a lot of the work that I do is, like I said, coaching and um, feeling safe and secure and and uh, empowered in your body. Sometimes when I do a vaginal examination, I um I go I go around the pelvic floor and I I kind of put my finger in certain areas and if there's a trigger point. If there's a certain area that hurts someone, um, I kind of think to myself, okay, what does that mean? Often I don't know what it means and I refer them to you. But should we as gynecologists be looking for trigger points and which ones? Um, I mean, I don't know. Like it depends. It depends on what's what's the point. But um, I suppose it, it, like I suppose it would be good if gynecologists did, um, you know, look for tightness. So, like, trigger points are not always that easy to find, especially if you're not very well trained in, um, you know, identifying fascial and muscular restrictions. Because even some people with poor physios aren't good at that, right? Um, so, like, I don't expect all gynecologists to be good at that either. Like, I know that, you know, we, we all have our expertise, right? But, yes, if a woman is tensing or it hurts her or it feels tight or it feels like resistance, you know, when you touch it, you press down on it, it resists back against you. 
um, then yeah, that's when you would refer. But like something as simple as just asking them, do you ever get pain with sex? Like you don't even need to do a vaginal exam. If they say I get pain with sex, then mm. that's immediate referral to pelvic floor physio. Like there's nobody else that can help with pain on sex to the level that a pelvic floor physio trained in sexual pain can. And how do pelvic floor physios become more trained in sexual pain? Do they do master's degrees? How do they get to that level, like your level? So um, they, you can do master's degrees, but in Sydney there is no master's degree. There is in Melbourne and in Perth. Um, so usually what we do is post-grad certifications. So there's a company called Women's Health Training, Associ- Training Associates and also the Australian Physiotherapy Association um, both have pathways for um, women's health specialization. Um, but g- most pelvic floor physio, so you have general physios who treat, you know, anything, neck pain, back pain, whatever. Then you have pelvic floor physios who are trained in the pelvic floor. Then you have um, within pelvic floor, you have uh, people who just see prenatal and postpartum. So they see, you know, incontinence in particular, prolapse, um, birth injuries, uh, that sort of stuff. So that's usually issues around weak pelvic floor. Then you have a subspecialty within that that work with um, sexual, chronic pelvic and sexual pain. Um, but, like, I mean, to be honest, when you get to the more complex sexual pains like vulvodynias, which is usually what I see, and complex endometriosis, which is what I see, uh, you know, clitoridynia, clitoral pain and um, anorectal pain, they, you know, they, that's when you, you've got to really be working in that field. So, like, most pelvic floor physios, you know, a lot of them are just generalists, um, generalists in pelvic floor. So, they see all of them. So, me, I specifically don't even bother seeing anyone else except sexual and pelvic pain. So, I, so like, that's all I see. So, the more you see it, the better you get, right? Um, the more you see it, the better you get, the more passionate you become. So, you know, you got to ask around. Like, when you call up a pelvic floor physio, like, ask them, you know, how experienced are you in sexual pain? What's your, um, what's your, you know, ha- uh, what's your, what's it called? Your turnaround. Like with my, my sexual pain patient, um, my turnaround is three months. Like if you're not 90% better in three months, I am like already trying to figure out what I've missed. Right. But a lot of my patients that have come to see me have seen two, three other physios. And sometimes they would have seen some physios for like six months, eight months, 12 months, and not really had much improvement. And that to me, I feel like I wouldn't, I don't feel comfortable to see a patient for that long. Like if I, if my patient is not 90% better within three months, I've missed something. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so what are the like common causes of painful sex? So you mentioned endometriosis, which is, I could imagine a very common cause. What are the other common causes if you go through a list of them? Um, so who else gets, who else gets sexual pain? So people who have chronic constipation, definitely. So like we're talking people who've been constipated their whole lives, like, they only go to, you know, three, two, three, four times a week. Or when they go, they get little pellets coming out or it's like really hard and clumpy to come out. Um, so chronic constipation is one of them. That It's like linked because when you have chronic constipation, you often also have um, puerectalis, one of the pelvic floor muscles, very tight. And then that causes the other muscle of the pelvic floor to get tight. Then you've got a lot of these other chronic pelvic pain conditions like endometriosis, as you mentioned, because that chronic dysmenorrhea, chronic period pain causes, you know, that cramping. When the uterus cramps to that degree, your pelvic floor goes along with it. And so your pelvic floor becomes tense and spasm and tight as well. Um, Adenomyosis, another complex period pain condition. 
often have type hole claw as well, which can often lead to painful sex. Interstitial cystitis, so bladder pain syndrome, is another huge one. Bladder pain syndrome and vulvodynia are highly correlated, highly, highly correlated, right? In fact, period pain, bladder pain syndrome, which is interstitial cystitis, and vulvodynia are highly correlated in the research, right? So um, any, any chronic pelvic pain condition um, is highly correlated with sexual pain. But then, yeah, you've got these other vulvodynia, clitorodynia, you know, I mean, it's really at the, at the base of it, your pelvic floor becomes tight and you end up with sexual pain. And why does the pelvic floor become tight? Because of whatever other issue you've got going on in the pelvis and even IBS issues like irritable bowel syndrome, even like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, like inflammatory bowel disorders, when the gut is dysfunctional, because the we have, remember I mentioned viscerosomatic and viscerovisceral conversion, the nerves that supply the abdomen and the nerves that supply the pelvis converge. So when you have gut disorders, when you have gastrointestinal disorders, you very often manifest with pelvic disorders as well. That's why we see so many women with endo who have IBS and interstitial cystitis and periodontal neuralgia and vulvodynia. Like they have this complex thing happening. Well, it's because of this convergence of the nerves. So what we, what I do in my clinic is, okay, we get to the root of it. So address all of these issues. A lot of, the, a lot of what I do so is not just pelvic floor physio, not just coaching, but also looking at nutrition. You know, what are you eating that could be stimulating um, your pain, right? Uh, what's happening psychologically? So we look at everything. And, you know, I work with a lot of different people. I work with psychologists. I work with nutritionists. I work with naturopaths. I work with, um, you know, with, with, with gynecologists, of course, colorectals, everybody to get that woman holistically better, right? It's not usually with complex conditions. It's not just as simple as, oh, her pelvic floor is tight. No, there's a lot of stuff going on that you have to unpack. Hebe, you mentioned earlier interstitial cystitis, which I feel is very much overlooked Overall, actually, uh, can you tell our listeners more about what that is? So interstitial cystitis um, is basically the, the newer name for it um, is called painful bladder syndrome or bladder pain syndrome. And the symptoms of interstitial cystitis is urgency, frequency and bladder pain or urethral pain or uh, pain with emptying your bladder or pain when your bladder is really full or pain once you're bladder has emptied and usually you feel this pain in that lower pelvic region um, and some women also experience pain with intercourse like that when they're having pain with intercourse they feel like this pressure and heaviness around their their lower abdomen and their and their bladder area um, and often after they have sex they they need to go and empty their bladder or they or when they're emptying their bladder they get like burning sensations um, and it's essentially this um, you know it's like an inflammatory nerve nerve irritation of the nerves around the bladder and the urethra and the pelvic floor and lower abdomen. Um, and, you know, when we work with it, um, it's complex as well. So it's, it's identifying the pelvic floor triggers, identifying the sexual triggers, identifying bladder, um, nutritional triggers, a lot of that. So like even things like, you know, red wine, for example, or um, dairy, you know, like it could be anything. Everybody's different. Or histamine. Actually, that's that's actually documented in the research. There's a huge correlation between histamine releasing foods and histamine mediating foods and um, bladder pain syndrome. So that's things like um, even things like spinach and 
what's it called, F- fermented foods. So like sometimes women who drink kombucha, they can get real flare-ups with their um, or pickles, for example. When they eat these things, they get real flare-ups of their bladder pain syndrome because it releases histamines in their body. Um, so, so, so it's interesting because you kind of have to look at it really holistically. How do you actually make the diagnosis? Because it doesn't sound like it's an easy thing to diagnose. Well, it's it's often uh, symptom based. So, are they presenting with urgency, frequency, bladder pains, and is it bothered by histamine mediating foods, for example, and is it pelvic floor overactive? Like, do they get urgency with urgent continence as well? Like, do they get urgency so bad that they can't even control their bladder and they, you know, as they get to the toilet, their bladder's already emptying? But bladder pain is the main symptom. Like that lower abdominal pain, usually aggravated by the bladder filling, the bladder emptying, voiding, um, you know, or, or certain foods. So mainly when the bladder is the star kind of of all the symptoms and you think, okay, I, I see interstitial cystitis, would you say? Sorry, what was that? When the bladder is almost the star of every uh, symptom. So when it's kind of That's the centre right. of every symptom, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now That's you would, right. I could imagine, give – a lot of your women homework to do. So you assess them and you'd give them homework. You might even use some special gadgets or recommend that they use special gadge- gadgets to help them. What what could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, homework would be get to know yourself first. So a lot of it is um, understanding where the bits and pieces are, where your clitoris is, what your vulva is, where your vagina is, um, getting to know your own body. That would be the first homework. Um, with sexual pain, depending on what it is, sometimes they might get sent home with a, a set of dilators. So if they have vaginismus, for example, vaginismus is where the muscles just at the entrance of the vagina like kind of seal up tight and you can't achieve penetration at all. Or when you do achieve penetration, it's so uncomfortable, tight and painful that you have to stop. So sometimes they get sent home with a set of dilators, and I often recommend silicon dilators because they're more comfortable, but there are also plastic and glass-type dilators as well. Um, and those dilators might be used, and I will show them how to use them in the first session uh, or the second session as a homework that they would do pretty much every day to try and stretch the muscles of the vagina. Um, but then there would also be things like... Um, you know, changing their habits, you know, like even things like the pads that you wear, you know, not like I, I often recommend um, or pads or tampons rather or, or whatever, um, even cups, you know, making sure that what you're using is chemical free. So a lot of the brands that I recommend would be like Suno, for example, or Tom Organic or something where there's no bleach, there's no dye, there's no perfumes, there's no, you know, n- none of these chemicals that could irritate the vulva, which they often do. Like there's a lot of patients that Sometimes we simply just stop them from using these, you know, chemically laden um, pads and a lot of their vulva pain goes away, you know, uh, you know, changing to like even period undies, for example. So sometimes it's, um, you know, look at their vulva habits, you know, no douching, no, um, you know, no, no soaps, no harsh soaps. Like all you need is a bit of, um, you know, the, the warm, warm water. No, you don't even need soap. You don't need anything. Just water. The vagina is a self-cleaning machine, like understanding those type of things. Um and the other thing that I'll often do is getting them to like tune into their pelvic floor. Be aware of where it is at baseline. Are you gripping a little bit? Are you tensing a little bit? And if you are, let it go. Imagine the way a pebble drops into a pond and the ripples that the pebble makes outward. 
and then visualize that in your pelvic floor, that sensation of dropping down and widening out, right? And then daily through the day, just checking into your pelvic floor, where is it? Is it up high? Is it tensing? Are you gripping? If it is, drop it and let it go. So like that awareness of the pelvic floor muscles, that you're not tensing all the time, that you're not gripping all the time, that you can kind of let go and open out down there. Um, that, that would be kind of a, the basic homework. But, of course, it's very dependent on the woman, right? Like sometimes, uh, you know, if she has trouble with orgasm, for example, she's never had an orgasm in her life, yeah, I might be like, well, why don't we bring out some toys? Like why don't we, um, you know, have a look at some vibrators that could help you learn about your body, for example, right? So like obviously it's dependent on the woman and what she was comfortable to try. Um, but, yeah, I'm very open about sexuality. I'm very open about what you can use, gadgets and devices and stuff. And when, you, when I, as a therapist, bring that to, you know, that, that comfort and that um, openness to my patients, they start to feel open and comfortable too, right? Because I don't, I, I don't have that guilt and shame stuff when I talk to my patients about sex and sexuality and sensuality, right? Getting to know their bodies in an intimate way without that. Because if you project your shame onto them, then they're going to feel shame, ashamed as well. Mm. So if you just kind of let it go, like don't have any shame about it. It's like, no, this is just part of who you are because you're a woman, you know, you've got woman's bits, you've got to know about them. Um, you know, that they, they feel comfortable too. You know, like go in with that assertive attitude and, you know, makes them more assertive about themselves. I am woman, hear me roar. Oh, yes. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> today I was in Honey, I think it's Honey Bird Debt. It's a, yeah. 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 And um, I, I was shopping for a friend whose birthday is coming up. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there was this gadget they had in there. You might be able to tell me how this would work. It looked like it was a bar and it had. Um, the spreader bar? Yeah. Can you, like, so basically <laughs> think, like, she would wrap kind of things around her ankles and there'd be a bar between her ankles and apparently it's designed so that when women are about to orgasm that they don't, like, close their legs close together. Their legs. Yeah, can you explain to me? Would this work for someone who has sexual pain? Can you tell us? Can you tell us more about what that bar is? Well, that's that's kind of more if you're into more, you know, uh, bondage, discipline, dominance, right. submissive type of play. Mm-hmm. Um, which I often do recommend with my patients. I, obviously, I gauge with my patients, you know, whether they're going to be open to that or not. But I do introduce that because um, because when you start to be curious, you start to become more open minded you start to let go of a lot of these beliefs and shames and feelings and thoughts and emotions that you have about yourself and, and what will help you with pleasure. And right? have fun. There were so many so, fun things in this shop. I wanted to buy the yeah. whole shop, but I don't have enough money. <laughs> yeah, so these sweater bars, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, it's like a bar yeah. with um, like almost like little handcuff type stuff That's right. at the end. And, you know, you wrap the ankles in them. And, yeah, it's a great way. Like I find it's really good like, when I when I talk to my patients about like oral sex, for example, or even um, you know manual stimulation with the hands or fingering or whatever, um, that yeah, you, it kind of forces your legs out. So because you know when when a woman gets close to orgasm, she automatically starts to tense up, um, but but like like or, or close her legs um, because like you know the, the, the muscles are, te- are about to tense, so you almost you know feel like it's you, you need to like your automatic reaction is to want to close up. Um, but when you're in a spreader bar, you can't, right? So it actually makes the orgasm more powerful or it allows you to go for more orgasm. And I think one of the things about females is that um, people don't realize that, you know, 
females are multi-orgasmic, right? Like we we can have multiple orgasms in the space of an hour or whatever, or however long you spend on sexual play, or, you know. Um, and the more you spend on sexual play, the more orgasms you can have if you let go. And in fact, um, you will feel more, you'll feel like more release, you'll feel better the more orgasms you have. And I actually encourage my patients, you know, don't just stop at one orgasm, like at least have two, three, you know, and you can like the more you have, the better you'll feel and actually help your pelvic floor relax even more. The more, you know, don't, don't look at orgasm as a goal you need to achieve. That one orgasm as a goal you need to achieve and sexual penetration as that goal that you need to achieve. No, like make it play, make it intimacy um, with lots of different intimate things, right? Um, so, yeah, the spreader bar is really great for that if you're open to bondage um, type of stuff and uh, curiosity. <laughs> yeah, and I think fun. I think people forget to have fun, don't they? Yeah, like it's sometimes I think we, we make it a chore almost, right? But it should be not should. I don't like to use the word should actually. Uh, yeah, like enjoy it. Have fun. Be curious. And, yeah, just let go. Yeah, often I um I recommend my patients go up to Max Black in Newtown when they get a bit yeah. sick of, uh, you know, trying for a baby. They get a bit bored, and I'm like, well, yeah. just go up to Max Black and ask them what the what the latest toy is, you know, because uh, that might just spice things up and help you relax. Exactly, exactly. Like, um, see, not everybody, not everybody is open. Like, a lot of people are quite vanilla. Like, you have to kind of know who you are. You know what I mean? Like. What gets you aroused? You know, you know, like for some people, oh my gosh, tantra, mm. tantric sex. You know, um, that it's more like sensual sex. So they might not enjoy or be open to bondage, discipline, uh, dominance, submiss- submission, right? But you would be more into tantra, which is like that spiritual connection, like energetic sex, like connecting intimately, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, you yeah, know, they get a lot of, a lot of eye contact. Eye. <laughs> mm, lot, yeah, a lot of eye contact and stuff. So um, you have to know what's right for you. Like everyone's different and it's dependent on your personality and your and your preferences, you know. Um, so the more you understand yourself, the more you'll know what turns you on, what gets you in the mood and what will help you get pleasure. Hey, but do you have a, a feel-good story for us, like a success story? of maybe a, a woman that has had such severe sexual pain that she's been able to then work through it uh, and to be able to then, you know, have sex comfortably and enjoy enjoy it? Do you have any cases? I mean, yeah, I have heaps. Like, all, like practically all of my patients, actually, you know, like practically all of my patients because they're ready to receive the type of care that I give. There are some patients that aren't ready to receive my type of care, and that's fine. Um, you're not ready. But with me, um, you know, my, my goal is to help women find themselves and love themselves and be comfortable in themselves. So uh, a recent case study, I would say, is um, an endometriosis patient um, who reached out to me, and um, but then she didn't come. But then three months later, she reached out to me again, and then she finally came. And then when she came, she was very sporadic in her um, attendance to, like she would come once and then not come for a month or something until I, we had a conversation and got really deep into her sexuality. And I think she, this, this, this girl, she, um, she wasn't authentic in herself. She, she was just trying to be a version 
of herself that wasn't the true her. Um, very too much like overworking and um, not really exploring herself. Um, and so what we did is we actually started talking about her personality. Like, you know, uh, one of the things I like to do with my, some of my patients is um, something, uh, what's it called? Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs personality testing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was with you that introduced me to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really into it with some of my patients. And so this girl, I figured out what she was and I'm like, ah, okay, this girl needs sensation play. So she can't do the whole, hey, um, it can't be like spontaneous, like not spontaneous, but like as in it can't be like, hey, oh, let's have sex tonight. Um, okay, bit of, a bit of touch and feel, bit of kissing, and then just go straight to inner, like penis and vagina sex. No, I was like, this girl needs sensation play. So we talked about, um, since, you know, what gets her aroused and stuff like that. And it did end up being that she needed more of the bondage type of stuff and sensation play in that, you know, um, like feathers and, um, you know, closing your eyes, blindfolds, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, you know, uh, like, you know. So through, focusing on the senses, know, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Sen- sensory, sensory stuff, mm. music, s- smells, oils, massage, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then when we started talking about that and she started to open up to me and then all of a sudden she's coming every week now because <laughs> she it was actually getting exciting. That's, that's and great. And the more... Yeah, and then the more sessions we had, like just getting her to realize that she's more into the sensation play stuff um, was like a complete light switch, right? And she, she, for her to understand herself because in the Myers-Briggs, um, it's about cognitive function. And the cognitive function that, was, that she needed to work on was what we call extroverted sensing, which is somebody on the outside needs to trigger her senses, okay? So she needs to get out of her head because her dominant role is to be in her head and she needs to get into a dream state. And that dream state that she needs to get into is that in her mind she's in a dream state and externally her sensations are being triggered, right? Um, And she just needs to let go and just feel all the sensory stuff from her partner. And so the more we talked about that, as we were were talking about that, it was amazing because literally from one week to the other, the the weeks before, every time she would come, she'd be tense. Her pelvic floor would just tense. As soon as we started talking about sensation play, her pelvic floor just melted under my fingers, melted, right? Because I was triggering her to think about and feel what actually arouses her, which is sensation play, right? Like some, some women just need quickies, right? Not all women. Mm-hmm. This one needed like prolonged foreplay, prolonged, like super prolonged. Like I'm talking, she needs like two, three hours kind of thing. Like it needs to be a prolonged session. So, um, yeah, whenever we talked about that and then all of a sudden, like, it was like literally she was coming every week and then within like three or four weeks, she, she started like she was having penetrative sex and there was no pain. And then she was like, Hey, I don't need to come anymore. Like we booked the session and she's like, I don't actually need to come anymore. Like it's, it's like, I have no pain anymore. And then the more she was doing that, like, I just keep in touch with her. Um, she was like, yeah, it's amazing. It's like, I, it, the more I, um, you know, I'm not thinking about work and blah, blah, blah. And the more I'm in my body, like as in. I'm in my dream state and my my partner is stimulating my body in that sensation. It's a longer, prolonged foreplay. Um, Yeah, no pain at all. So it was just that, like getting her to realize that it's okay to want things that not everybody else wants, you know. Um, If discipline works for you, then, you know, like some people need that kind of cross between pain and pleasure, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it was interesting. That was actually a really great story. That's a great story. Well, Well done, you. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I wanted to ask you, Heber, some questions about you. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you, which people in your life have been your biggest inspirations? Oh, biggest inspirations. Okay. Um, I would say from, okay, so from a professional point of view, my mentor, who is the, um, the, the one who teaches from the Women's Health Training Associate, so she's a physio as well, and she trained me, um, going to all her courses, wow. Like she just, like she, she's what made me fall in love with totally for physio. What's her name? So she, Karen Hallam. Mm-hmm. So she is one of my biggest inspirations and, um, and even things like, um, cause I, one of her courses is actually on sexuality and she teaches BDS, like the BDSM principles in there. So even like just going to that course helped me to understand that not like, you know, I can't bring my own beliefs about what sex should be to my patients. Like I need to be open to everything because some of my patients are going to be stimulated by things that I might not be or that I'm not open to whatever, you know? And like um, the way that she would teach it and then I would learn it and I'm like, wow, this, oh my God, this would work with this patient, you know? So like she, she really helped me to become more open-minded about everything. Um, so she's one of my biggest inspirations from a professional point of view. Um, yeah, I would say her. Yeah. She, is she Sydney based? Yeah, she is. Yeah. She she teaches only. She actually teaches now the um so in 2020 the Australian Physiotherapy Association created a new pathway for women's health and pelvic floor physiotherapy and she teaches that now. So it's like the kind of the foundations of pelvic floor physio. She teaches that's all online. Um so that so she she's mostly in teaching now. She doesn't actually treat patients anymore. She's so she's an educator, huh? An educator, that's right. Any other people who have been an inspiration to you in your life? Um, there have been a lot, obviously, but I can't really think of them at the moment. Um, oh, you know what, actually? Hmm. <laughs> so this is separate. Um, there's, there's this guy, his name is, I mean, you, you, he's pretty popular, um, especially with males, actually, uh, Jordan Peterson. Have you heard of him? No, where's he? Uh, he, he's like a psycho psych, psychologist, psychotherapist, clinical psychologist, uh-huh. um, and um, and Carl Jung, who is also uh, one of the the the, the heads of um, psychotherapy. Yeah, I know uh, him, so, even though he's dead. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. Carl Jung is definitely like I love his work. Like I just really understand everything that he says and all his quotes and everything. I'm just so into it. And um, Jordan Peterson, he's very popular. Uh, amongst uh, men in particular because it helps men to find themselves and become more assertive in themselves. Um, and he actually gets a lot of backlash from a lot of um, women, I suppose, maybe feminist-type women. Uh, and and I feel like it's probably a, a, poor, a poor understanding. But when I, when I listen to Jordan Peterson's lectures, and I have his book I'm actually reading at the moment, it's called The 12 Rules of Life, Antidote to Chaos. Um, like I just resonate with everything that he says. Like he 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 speaks to me on an intellectual level. Like it's a very intellectual person. I'm I'm also very intellectual as well. And the way that he talks um, is very intuitive. And I'm also very intuitive as well. So I feel like when he talks to me, it's like I I just understand his language. And I can see why a lot of people um, don't resonate with his work because he talks in a way that's maybe a bit too intuitive. Um, and you, if you don't really, if you don't really understand it, if you don't really, or you're not in tune with your intuition, you can take it the wrong way. 
But when I listen to him, I just feel like, wow, he really understands me and helps me to grow, like from a personal development point of view. Like ever since I started listening to Jordan Peterson, which was in February this year, I just feel like my um, energy has changed a lot. Like I feel like I'm more positive because I understand people and I understand myself better. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like one of the things that he says, which a lot of people have probably heard of, is like, don't compare yourself to anyone else. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, who you were a year ago, and try to be a better version of yourself every day. Um, and that's the same thing I, that I that I kind of say to my clients. Is I was like, you know, don't compare yourself to to someone else or someone else. Your all your friends don't have pain with sex. Compare yourself to who you were last week. Um, isn't your pain better than it was last week? Compare yourself to who you were five years ago. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the, the principles that he talks about can be applied on so many different planes. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely one of my huge inspirations. Yes. So does he have a podcast? Were you, you were saying that you were listening to him on, on what forum? Oh, YouTube. He has so many videos on YouTube. Okay. Like he talked all his lectures. They're all lectures. Mm-hmm. So when he was um, – he, he, he teaches – or he used to teach at Harvard University, the, the, the clinical psychology lectures. So he actually recorded his clinical psychology lectures from like 10, 15, 20 years ago and he put them all up on YouTube. And now he's like a public speaker. He's, he's very well known. He's like a multi-million um, bestseller um, author, but mostly among men, right? So not many females know about him, interestingly enough. Um, but um, yeah, so his lectures are all on YouTube. And if you're, if you're into that intellectual type of um, stimulation, um, they're awesome. And now he, you know, he's been on like Dr. Oz and, you know, he's been on he's been, Joe Rogan. Like he's been on all oh, these wow, massive Rogan. podcasts. He yeah. mustn't be pretty, pretty, pretty awful then if he's been on on uh, Joe Rogan for our listeners. <laughs> I think Joe Rogan is the best, uh, what the the biggest podcast uh, out there, isn't it? He has how many millions of subscribers? Yeah, um, I love Joe Rogan. Yeah, podcasts. yeah, Same. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so this, he's been on Joe Rogan mm, multiple times. Mm, yeah, okay, I've got to Google that one. To. Amazing, oh, amazing, super intellectual, and just. Sometimes it's almost like he's too smart for today, <laughs> but it's but it's like so stimulating. Like you know when you find someone like that that really gets the cogwheels moving in your brain, mm. it's it's addictive. Like I got addicted to, to his to his to his YouTube videos. I was I'll be watching them like into the night, like hours and hours of of YouTube videos, just listening to him. And it, honestly, it got me out of because um, I went to this severe depression depression last year. Um, I, I had like a complete mental breakdown in like uh, September, October, November. And when I started listening to this stuff in um, February, it completely changed my life. Like, I don't know, it just like got me out of my severe depression. And I feel like ever since then, I've just been like, like I'm taking ownership of my life and taking control of my life. I feel happier. I feel more content um, because I really understand, you know, I, because I understand it from a cognitive point of view. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's been powerful. Thank you, Jordan, I'd say, huh? Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. With, um, with books, has he written any books? Because I'm going to ask you now, what are your favourite books ever? Oh, my favourite books. Okay. So I love Brene Brown. Actually, that's another inspiration. I love Brene Brown stuff and I'm actually reading some of the stuff. Um, the other one that I love is um, The Body Keeps the Score. I mentioned that before. Mm. Bessel van der Waals, yep. Um, and then I'm reading this book now by Jordan Peterson, The 12 Rules of Life. An antidote to chaos. Um, but I have, like, I, I, I'm a bookworm. Like, I have hundreds of books. <laughs> so it's actually, I, I'm not the type of person that has a favorite book. Mm, I just love reading. Because you've got too many. 
Mm, like I don't I just I just love reading anything that stimulates my mind I love it from anything like I love reading intellectual stuff I love reading um spiritual stuff but I also love reading um fantasy fiction like I love reading historical full stop, romance. Huh? You, you like everything <laughs> full stop anything that makes you feel good you know mm. feel good stuff either intellectually or to chill out you know like a fantasy romance type thing yeah I don't think I've anything. ever read a book that's made me feel bad though have you ever read a book that that has made you feel bad about things? Um, like I get bored very easily. So if I if I don't finish a book, it's because I got bored. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. So it's more it's more does it does it engage me or does it bore me? That's the difference. Uh, mm. And songs that make you happy. Yeah, like if it makes me feel good, it makes me happy. Definitely. So a song that just makes you feel good makes you happy. I like that. That's that's simple. It's good. Yeah, yeah. And your dream collaboration, do you have one? What is it? A dream collaboration. Oh, dream collaboration. Hmm, gosh. You know, I thought of this but I've forgotten now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have to table that, dream collaboration. We'll have to come back to that one in another podcast. You know what? I I love collaborating with everyone. Like seriously, like if anybody, anybody, anyone, whether they're well-known or not well-known, asks me to join them on a podcast or join them on a, on a video or whatever, I will say yes. Like I love collaborating with anyone and everyone. Um, I don't care how well-known or how not well-known you are. Like I just love collaborating in general. So yeah, I'm into collaboration like a hundred percent with anybody. Um, because you never know what conversation can stimulate, like, you know, somebody else or even yourself, right? Mm. So, yeah, I would say anyone really, yeah. And you're chatting to someone in the UK this evening, is that right? Yeah, I am. Um, so can you tell us more about her, that? So she she this she's um, she runs a company called Mutu System. Her name is Wendy Powell. So she works with mums who have abdominal separation that affects their ability to exercise and feel good about themselves. So she's interviewing me about pelvic floor mm. dysfunction and that post postnatal period. Good on you, Heba. <laughs> you, you are just so awesome. You're a powerhouse woman. I, I had my, my last question to you was, given you're a powerhouse, top tips for physiotherapists who are treating women with sexual pain, what can you share with them as your so expert in this area? upskill like just get to like just learn as much as you can and look at it holistically like don't go in with just a one lens attitude you have to think outside the box think out like that's it like your pelvis is you know we call it the box right think outside (laughs) of the box (laughs) oh i love that that is so good (laughs) think think the brain think the heart think the 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 ribs the feet yeah, think outside the box. Is that a T-shirt? Have you made that into a T-shirt? That's a great T-shirt. I should have. a good slogan, eh? Hey, <laughs> you have to make that into a T-shirt, Heba. <laughs> you know what's funny? Um, I actually did a presentation for the Australian Physiotherapy Association a few years ago, and that was my um, my thing. I had a picture mm. of a woman, and I put a box around the pelvis, and I finished off the um, I finished off the lecture say, saying, "Think outside the box." No, I absolutely love that. Thank you so (laughs) much for letting us think outside the box, Heba Shaheed. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Tash. (laughs) It has been amazing being on this call with you. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Heba Shaheed. 
Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books for us to share and read. Until next time, stay fanny tabulous.